We're in our last Sunday of a series that we've been talking about the life and character of the church. And, and I'm looking forward to this because um, we have not talked about this, at least in my recollection, this topic or this theme at all since, since our planting almost eight years ago. And, and so today we're actually, we're going to speak to your relationship with and our um, use of money. No one, okay, no one left, so we're doing all right. Um, we want to do that because when we talk about the mission of the church, it's not just what we do in our behavior, but it's every facet and a tremendously significant portion of our discipleship that is a reflection of how we're growing in Jesus will be evidenced in our finances. And, and here, let me just give you my thesis, my main point for today, which we're going to chisel away at. Simply this, we, that's the church, have the privilege and duty to both hold and advance the mission of the gospel through obedience that includes radical generosity. And I'm going to read a couple, we're going to launch out of a couple familiar texts, but I want you to hear them, not from the standpoint of, yes, this means we ought to go and share about our faith, which it is saying, but also we, we need to be evidencing that in our giving Donations, generosity. Now, I, I, I'll say this up front. I, I'm probably going to rattle a few cages today um, because I was rattled in preparing this. And we're going to be all over Scripture. So if you have your Bibles, bring them out. Uh, or your digital device, uh, bring that out so that you can track with us and see that I'm not making these things up. But as you do that, let me read some, of, some passages that will be just intended to prime our hearts this morning. The first in First Peter, verse thir- or sorry, chapter three, verse fifteen. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. And Matthew five, chapter thirteen. Verse uh, sorry, five, verse thirteen to fifteen. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may, do, so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven." The reading of God's word. I've told us where we're going to go, and, and, and here's the format in which how we're going to do that. We want to talk about giving, the biblical backdrop of giving, the misconceptions of the modern church, and a gospel-centered concept of how we follow Jesus in relationship to our money. Now, uh, if, if you're familiar with church, if you grew up in the church, if you're like me, where some of my earliest memories were army crawling under the pews of a church, the biblical backdrop is, is often given to us in such a way that it's rote and static, and it's just what you do. And it's found from a lot of the concepts that we receive from, if you were recalling our time in the book of Exodus, um, the Old Testament it's the temple worship and the system of temple uh, of worship that is through the temple. We, we, rec- we receive something of how God's people, specifically in the books of Leviticus and Numbers, were given direction to tithe. Now, who's heard that word tithe before? Yeah, I'm not against it. 
but I'm going to push on it a little bit today because a, a tithe literally means a tenth. They were to give a tenth uh, uh, off the top. That would be the gross that, that would go to the Lord. But it, actually, three distinct ways. Because many of us, and I'm already bleeding into my points, because we, we might have been raised, or we might have heard an argument, well, in the Old Testament, God's people gave a tenth off the top to the Lord, and then the rest was kind of theirs to do what they wanted with. But actually, if you were to read with more specificity, if you were to get down into the brass tacks of what we see in the Old Testament law, we would see that God's people were directed to tithe, give a tenth, uh, to the worship of the Lord, that, that, that this was his first and foremost. He gets the biggest cut. He, he gets the first and, and the best. This was a picture of, of worship and honor and putting priority towards the one who has been so generous to them. But then beyond that, there was a tithe that was to the, the, the function, the programming, and, and, and the staffing of the temple that was for the priests. There was 12 tribes, but one of the tribes, Levi, was, they, you know, sorry kids, if you wanted to be anything but a priest, you had no options. That's your job. And, and so they, they couldn't be landowners, and because of that, they were taken care of on the generosity of God's people. Out of their offerings, out of their gift was how they fed their families and how they operated, how they maintained their homes. And then there was another tithe, which was to the generosity of the community, that this went to essentially the, to throw parties and to feed and to care for the disenfranchised and the foreigner. This was God's way of instituting an, an ancient food bank or welfare system, if you will. And conservative guests, uh, I mean, this is commentators going, you know, it's somewhere, depending on how you do the math, you are to give 23 to 30% of your income to the Lord. Now, some of you are going like, okay, I'm, I'm feeling better about a tenth. The, the idea here was there was always room. There was always function. There was always discipline and expectation that we were giving something to go to what is needed in the community. We, we saw a priority of worship. God, this is not, and, and this was drilled into God's people from the start. A, a nation that came out of obscurity from slavery in Egypt by God's grace and providential hand brought into a land of promise and and made a way for them to live there against all odds, this was just kind of ingrained in them. None of this is yours. This was given you. And so I'm telling you, give back so that it's ingrained in your heart that this God who gave you all this, he's worthy of much. It is a priority of worship. And then there's a, a, the function of the temple system. Now, now we lose a bit of this, but, but bear with me. It's this, that's the epicenter of culture. That's where you gathered. You know, how, if you read your Old Testaments, I know may, many of you late at night, that's, that's all you read. That's like what you're thumbing through at all times, right? If you were to do that, really, like, read big chunks, you would be like, man, they're feasting, and they're celebrating, and they're coming together all the time. This was the, the programming and community of God's people, which was made possible by the generosity of God's people. It, it was like potluck after potluck after potluck, which had significance to the person of God and their relationship with him. 
And so it, it, it served in their communal focus. This was a way in which they were brought together. Um, this was more than just a tax, as there was a tithe given to the social welfare and concern for other people. It, it was actually meant so that their hearts would be shaped. Now, none of us, well, I shouldn't say none of us, but I would argue most of us, when, when you pay your taxes, you're not doing so with glad faces. You know, I love the roads on my street, so here you go. You know, there's grumbling, there's, you know, you, you will spend hours going over your tax returns, like, how do I get some back? The heart was to be like, no, this is meant to be so that the foreigner, so that the disenfranchised, so that those who are in a lesser status could, could be brought in, could be cared for. And, and here's what God was trying. His many principles was he trying to ingrain in his people's hearts. There is no place in God's community for somebody who's going to say, I'm going to get ahead. And there's no place in God's community for somebody who's saying, I'm falling behind. It was that we would have concern for one another. And, and no one was allowed to go, look at me. I am, I am the savvy businessman. Or I am the hard worker. Or I am the really blessed. It's, it's to go, we, we, we do this together. We're a community. We, we stand together or we fall together. And this all is a reflection of who? God and his generosity and his, his hand upon us. These are the things, these are the principles that he's trying to deeply ingrain in his people. And if you know this, if you're a parent, until the principles dig into your kid's heart so that it actually shapes their behavior, you start with what? Rules. So that it will shape automatically until they're like, you know what? Life is a little easier when the house is clean. I'm not tripping over everything and trying to find something. So now I value this and I will embody it. That's the Old Testament. The law was meant to shape their hearts, and yet it doesn't because we see this happening again and again and again in the human story. We rebel. We don't want to be shaped for those things. And, and so it's kind of clunky. I want to spend the, the least amount of our time here because it, it's, it's really clunky when we try to take an Old Testament system and lay it on top of, a, of the present-day church. Because if, if you grew up like me, and maybe this is all new to you, and you'll, we'll just, you get the benefit of skipping all the poor learning that many of us have encountered growing up in the church. Uh, this, this is what we assume. These are some of the misconceptions you know, good Christians, mature Christians, those who have kind of arrived in their faith and, and kind of came to a place of ownership and responsibility, they tithe. And that's, that's just what you do. It's kind of like a membership fee to the church. You budget for it. And, and, and we think of it that way. And we bring on these Old Testament mechanisms and we try to like insert them perfectly. Like, okay, yeah, we need to do this because that's what good people do. That's, that's worshipful. Uh, we need to do this because it provides community and programming. So we have a kids group, a youth group, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you know, and, and Lord willing, we'll grow to the place where we even have like a knitting class and a fly fishing group. Because like, then we're really doing well uh, as a church. Sarcasm. My wife's like, you have to tell people. <laughs> I was being a little sarcastic with the door-to-door -door salesman, and she's like, he did not know. <laughs> so, sorry. 
community, and then, and then also generosity. Now, that, that's one that falls flat because many of us, when we pay our taxes, we're going, well, that's where it's going. That's what it is. And so when I get up here and say, we're going to talk about giving, we're going to talk about donations, we're going to talk about generosity, some of you bristle, and, and that can be for a variety of reasons. One, it might be the first Sunday here, and you're like, great. I came... With, and, and I had that idea. All they want is my money, and that's exactly what's going on. Big surprise. I, I've seen the televangelists where they're like, you know, just call this number. And, and online, that's scrolling right now. Uh, it's not that. Some of you might go, I don't have anything to be generous with. Some of you might be going, I give my 10. Back off. I, I want to... I said earlier, I want to rattle cages more often, more, more readily, I want to soften hearts. Because there's a picture here of what God's trying to ingrain in us because it's life. And, and whenever we opt for rebellion, we choose death. You see, when God's people fought this, they, they received the opposite of what it was trying to, to give them, which was you know, what's, what's the opposite of life? It's death. What's the opposite of community? It's isolation. What's the opposite of generosity? It's greed. And that's what we live out of when we reject these things. And so I want to challenge some of these misconceptions. And, and I think they're actually summarized well in these words. Tithing, blessing, and generosity. Words we hear in the church often. But, but I think when Jesus challenged there's a group that came to him in, in Luke chapter 12. And they often, what the religious leaders would do is they, wanting to discredit Jesus, they would try and pin him in a corner with a no-win scenario. And they brought to him some money and said, Jesus, should, should we pay our taxes to Caesar? And they're going, ah, now we got him. Because if he says yes, he's supporting this, this rulership over us that's you know, not supporting biblical law and, and it's going to look bad for Jesus. And if he says no, it's going to look like he's you know, pushing against the government and being rebellious and, and overzealous. And so we, you know, we're going to be able to pin him in a corner. And, and Jesus says, well, whose face is on it? And there's Caesar. Well, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Give to God what is God's. And everyone's like, whoa. Jesus isn't just being really smart and getting out of a trick question. He, he's going, no, 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 no. Generosity speaks to get what, what's God's needs to go to him. And there'll always be abundance. You see, that's how it's set up in the beginning pages. You know, so considering a tithe, I've already quickly reviewed what that is, where it comes from, where, where some of those conceptions come from in the Old Testament. But again, we oftentimes think of it this way. This is our modern-day church membership fee. I mean, pays, pays for the modern-day priest. That's our staff. Pays for the modern-day programming. You know, that's, that's our, what we do on a Sunday morning and throughout the week. It, it, it pays for um, the social welfare. That's our benevolence. So, so we think of it that way. But it, it begins to fall apart. And, and some of you are going to like this. I, there is nothing in the New Testament that would argue for a formalized or rigid form of giving that looks anything like a tithe. It's just not there. No, I'm not against it. If, that, if that's in your habits, it's in my family's habits. There's a predetermined percentage that comes off of the every paycheck and it goes in. Great. But here's what can happen when, when that's all it is. It never impacts your heart. 
Generosity is supposed to impact your heart. And that's not a percentage figure. It's something else. You know, some of us, and I'm not, I'm going to try and move my eyes a lot. <laughs> you need to know this, by the way. I don't know who gives or who gives what. That's for my own heart as a pastor. That's so that if somebody phones me up and wants coffee, I don't prioritize based on giving. Some of you might be shocked, as my neighbors are often shocked, to go that, you know, as a charitable organization, there's, we don't sell goods and services. There's nothing we can do to charge. This, you, you might be surprised to know that there are four staff that go, we pay our bills based on your generosity. And the programs, the things that we do, the mission that we're given exists and in a sense feels like it could fall apart any moment based on your giving. And, and here's what's so good about that. We have, a, we have to lean into a faithful trust of God and his provision. And here's what's not good about that. We, we've kind of created a science to, to, to the charitable organization in our culture where we, we might just throw away a sum and it means nothing. Some of us, 10% is nothing. Some of us, 20% could be nothing. And others would go, man, if I gave two, that would hurt a lot. And, and what we're getting at here is the tithe is supposed to represent a priority of whose is this really? If you were to look at Scripture, all the way back to opening pages of the story, Genesis chapter 1 and 2, which is given as a picture of like, like whenever you get into that existential space, and hopefully you don't live in there too much, because then you'll need a counselor. You know, where did we go? You know, where did everything start? Where do we come from? God's like, here, here's my explanation. I created. And before I created my representatives, I gave them everything. I didn't drop them into scarcity. I dropped them into abundance. The picture that we are given of God's creation is everything you can ever need and more. Until our rebellion, where we said, you know what, but there's one thing I want, and that's my own autonomy. And we reached out to do that. And through that rebellion, everything fractured. And we see that the line from abundance to scarcity enters into the biblical story. Where Adam no longer has an abundance in his labor. It's hard and difficult. Where, where Cain and Abel come to offer their sacrifices and one is found less favorable. On and on and on it goes. And God's writing of the biblical story will enter into a character name. It will start, we'll, we'll see this. Actually, it's alluded to in chapter 3 of Genesis. But we'll see, as he says to a guy named Abraham, who he plucks out of obscurity to say, I'm going to make you a father of, of many nations. I'm going to make you... Out of you, my people. And he says, I'm going to bless you to be a blessing. Out of you will come abundance. We're going to turn this whole thing around. We need to understand in that God's generosity wants to overflow in our lives. And many of us, if you were to read, I told you I'm going to be all over the Bible, Acts chapter 2. Many of you read the early accounts of the, of the, first, of the early church, and we, we read this, and we, we get chills, like, this is awesome, this is exciting, but then we think of it practically, and we go, how? So let me read it for you. This is 2, verse 42 to, uh, I obviously got 42 to 47. There we are. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship. 
to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending to the temple... Sorry, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. Let me say what everyone's thinking. We love the, the beginning and end of that passage. They got together regularly. They had Bible study, and, and, then, and God kept adding to them. But what else? They sold their possessions and distributed to those who had need. That kind of rubs us the wrong way. I mean, that, that list is potentially endless. Like, God, is that what you expect of us? Is this the kind of generosity you're calling to? And, and the answer is yes. And we need to understand what that looks like and what that means. A tithe is not just my tenth. A tithe is a representation of God. All of this is yours, and, and I get to, by your grace, use it. And it should not be a question of how much should I give, but how much should I keep? What do I really need? And as I do that, to have eyes that look up at my community and go, what, what do others need? What a generous heart looks like is when, when you take a friend out for coffee and go, no, no, I got it, because I want to get it. There's, there's no underlying motive. You know, if I get this, then they're going to owe me later. Or, you know, if I do this, then I can definitely ask him to move my house when I have to do that. It's not. I just, I want to bless you. I want to give to you. Why? Because I have much. I have more than I could ever imagine. Your tithe is a picture of how deeply you understand God's blessing in your life. And so if that's a great number, then I, I would, from the outside looking in, your heart is a matter between you and the Lord. But from the outside looking in, I would go, wow, that, uh, you're seeming to get it. And if it is a small or non-existent number, then I would say, then, then you're probably questioning God's goodness in your life. God, can I trust you with anything? Because I'm holding on so tight. Because we, here's the thing, I, I said we can challenge these things, these misconceptions, and there's many, with three words, tithing, blessing, and generosity. When, and when I talked about blessing with, with Abraham, we love that word in, in the church. It's kind of a buzzword. If you're, if you're not from the church and you enter in, you'll be like, they say that a lot. And because it means this, to increase oneself and one's, one's holdings. I want to increase more, more status, more security, more stuff. We like that. And to be blessed, and we think of Abraham, if you read the story of Abraham, one of my favorite biblical characters from Genesis 12, we, we see that God's like, I'm going to bless you. And, and from that moment on, it's like finances and, and, and status and significance and God's protection. Like he, he just gets it all. Even the thing that God promises him the most, which he, he you know, the whole storyline, there's this back and forth. God's like, I'll give you that. But here's why. So that you would be a blessing. And it's not Abraham, but it's, it's a foreshadowing to Christ. Who's going to be the one in your offspring who's going to overflow to 
all the world throughout all of history that will have a, a, a bank account so deep that it can cover all the needs of the world. Well, that's my son, Jesus. Out of Abraham, out of you, that's going to come. And, and Abraham's heart is slowly shaped to this place. He's attributed to having this faith of like, you know what? God's always got my back. There's abundance here. You know the difference between an, an abundance and a scarcity mentality, don't you? You might be married to somebody of the opposite view. There's always enough. There's never enough. And you know what scarcity looks like? It, it, it looks like somebody who's gripping and clawing and scraping to keep or to get every little thing. But, but scripture speaks to that. It's, it, let me read it because I don't want to misquote. Matthew 25 verse 29 it says this, For everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even that, uh, even what he has will be taken away. What, what's, what's that speaking to? Actually, psychologists love this verse. You know why? It, because there seems to be a, a principle at play for those who, who know how to work hard and win. They keep winning. And those who know how to lose, they keep losing. And what this referring to is this. If you have an abundance mentality, it's like, man, I, I know how to make this work. Doesn't mean you're amazing. Doesn't mean your skills are better than everyone else. It means that you've tapped into it. And I'm not talking in your posture, in your mentality, in your person. I'm talking about Christian. If you know that God has you, loves you, will provide for you, we don't fear scarcity. We shouldn't. But if you are gripped with it, your life will look like somebody who can, can never hold on tight enough and we'll lose even that which we're holding. If, if you want to look at a character in the Bible who embodies this, I would encourage you to look at Jacob. Jacob, before he was born, again, in the book of Genesis, grandson of Abraham, before he was born, the Lord speaks to his mother and says, you know, she feels this kind of wrestling in her tummy. She's got twins and there's no ultrasounds back then. Um, and I can appreciate this because we had twins, and I remember watching the ultrasound, and they're like two little bodies doing this. <laughs> they're like literally punching each other in the face the whole time. He says, there's a, there's a war inside me, and God's like, there's two nations inside of you, and one will, the, the lesser, or sorry, the greater will serve the lesser. It's in, in, in reference to the older will serve the younger, and as they're born, Jacob comes out grasping the heel of his brother Esau, which his name, Jacob, means trickster or heel grabber. In other words, he's always going to be that one gripping for the thing. And if you look at his life, that's exactly what he does. Rather than trusting what God said, no, no, this is yours and I'm going to give it to you. He's scheming every time to get it. Scheming to, to get his brother's birthright and his brother's blessing. Scheming to gain, gain his spouse. Scheming to, to gain fortune. Scheming for everything. And God blesses him and blesses him and blesses him. But fast forward to chapter 32 of Genesis. And, and, and eventually he even wrestles with God. And it's like, you might read that and go, it's like in that story, can, can men really wrestle with God? Well, if you've ever had a, a prayer life, you know that that's true. But they're wrestling, and, and, and there seems to be like, is Jacob actually a, 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 an equal force? No, but think of this. When 
When God's love to bless meets somebody who's so opposed to receiving but wants to earn, these things will be in constant and perpetual conflict with each other. And so it says that some of your Bibles will say he, the Lord reached out and touched his hip and it came out of socket. That's a nice way for what the ancient Hebrew text would say. He, he punched him in the hollow of his leg, which means punched him in the groin to the point where his, his hip comes out of socket. What is God doing in that moment? I will wound you so that you receive the thing I want to give you. Stop grasping for it. You know, it's like when you go out for a lunch or, or an event with somebody and they're like, you know, I want to pay this. I want to pay for this for you. Or they give you a gift. I want to give this to you. And, and you're like, I can't. I can't. I can't receive that. No, no, I don't want that. If you've been that person, what, what's that about? No, I have to earn it. I have to stand on my own two feet. It's cheap because you gave it to me. Or I, I want to be the giver. I don't want to be the receiver. I, who knows whatever is behind that. But Jacob is the ultimate picture of that. God, I can't rest in what you said you would give me. i got to find it for myself. Until God lovingly says, now I'm going to take you out so that you can receive it. Jacob does not, he, he dies in his blessing. It's everywhere in his life. But it's the picture actually of an of a embittered old man who never seemed to receive it. Do you see what I mean by even those who have, it'll be taken from them? And yet, you can have so little, and yet through an understanding of who God is and his blessing on your life, you can be living in abundance. And that's the picture of a, of a Christian life, because we're called to generosity. Now, some of us struggle with that word because we think, like, how much? I, I can always be somebody who, in my mind, doesn't have enough. In fact, here's a helpful, this is part of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, chapter 6 of Matthew, verse 19 and 24. Jesus says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters, for he will either hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. It's amazing how opposite of generosity would be greed. It's amazing how if our eye is bad, if all we see is scarcity, it, we, we, will, we will not even be aware to it. I mean, greed is, like, I can throw that out there and, and probably no one in the room will think to themselves, yeah, that's me, I really struggle with greed because we'll, we'll sit in a room, this one, any, any, any uh, social interaction will think, well, I've got less than that person. I know that person makes me more than me. I know the, the, that family's way wealthier than I am. So, so there's no way I could possibly be greedy. And so our, we're so, what Jesus is saying is that we're so easily deceived by this idea of greed 
that, that we cannot step into what is generosity and we cannot serve him because we are ultimately serving what is our heart's most treasure. And that, that is simply whatever money does for you. There's a difference between money and treasure. I'm not, I'm not against money. Because we can do great things with, with wealth. God's mission can be and is accomplished by the loosing of resources. And that's, that's finances, that's skills, that's, that's uh, possessions that we can give to, to allow God's work to, to go out. And that's an amazing thing. But I'll, I'll, I've said this many times. If I got to see your bank account, I could tell you where your treasure is. And what, what, what does money provide for you? It might be security. It, it, it might be comfort. It might be status. Money will get you that. That's exactly what Jesus is saying. And, and we are blind to our own greed. So Jesus is asking us in this passage... How is your eyes? You might not even be able to, to, to discern that, but, but I like this. If you were to look at um, Matthew 19, I'll just paraphrase it. Jesus encounters a, a rich young man, comes, and I'll, this is my paraphrase, please read it for yourself, but comes to Jesus and he says, Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Good question. We like that question. Jesus responds to him, speaking to the law and what it means to have a life of obedience and following him. And he says, I've, I've done these things. I'm, I'm doing good. And then Jesus says, one more thing. Sell all your possessions to the poor and then follow me. And it says that upon hearing this, he left in great sorrow because he had much. What's going on in that is, is Jesus is going, no, no, here's the thing. I know what's, I know what's first in your heart. I, I know what's required of you. This is the question that the man was asking inside of himself. Do I really believe Jesus is enough to fill that I could give up all these things? Do I believe Jesus is enough? To, to the degree you feel confident to answer that question will be a, a pretty good measure of your generosity. Can I give, the, can I give up on this pleasure Trusting that Jesus will fill me? Can I give up on, on that thing that I want or that security, that status, so that Jesus will fulfill me? These are the misconceptions of, of, of where I, I see the modern church, and I live in that tension as well. You know, where this, this is how we do it in, in our household. You don't have to take this. We, we, we have a standard amount that we give to the church. For us, that's obedience. That's obedience, and it's modeling, because when I call you to it, I want you to go, like, look at the books. You can ask, ask our treasurer. This is something we model for the church. And by the way, church, here's why we haven't talked about this yet. We have a generous church. I, I, can't, I can't tell you how amazing it's been to, to get up year after year after year where we've seen, you know, modest growth in our attendance, but in unprecedented growth in our finances where every year I, I, I get up and I go, great. Thank you. Amazing. God, your grace is, it astounds me. To the point where it's done this in my heart, not, not just Mission Hill, but personally in our family's life as well, where I go, God, I know you've always got us. 
I know you've always got us. I don't worry about these things. And that's not, hey, Aaron's really special. No, that's been chiseling away at my heart over a long, long time. Because trust me in this, you don't get into ministry for the money. And it can make you really hyper attuned to there's never enough. I remember when my, my wife couldn't work because we had twin babies at home and we were living on a youth pastor's income. That, that feeling of there's never enough was heavy. And I remember one night, my, and my wife's a planner. If you know her, you know that. Amen. Um, you know, she's looking at the budget. She's looking at everything and she's like, there's just no way. There's just no way. And we were talking about options. She's like, you're going to have to get a second job. You're going to have to go do this. You're going to have to. And, you know, I'm a doer. So, you know, planner and doer, that's how this works in our family. And I'm like, okay, you give me, give me the play, coach, and I'll run. And, and I was just like, what about prayer? Like, we were really spiritual in that moment. <laughs> and I was like, I think we should pray. And. And what do we need? At that time, it was like, when you have twin babies, it's like diapers is like more than food. <laughs> and, we, and the option of reusable was just not on the table. <laughs> and so I remember praying, Lord, we need food and diapers. Amen. Our doorbell rings. And, and if you know our house, the couch is like right in front of the doorbell. So I get up, walk. It's two seconds from the door. I open it. Nobody's there. There is a heap of diapers and food. And I turn around, I'm like, Jesus answered our prayer. <laughs> and my wife's like, who ran away? <laughs> I'm like, wrong answer. I, I, and I have many more stories like that. Where God's just been like, no, I got you. I got you. I got you. And, and in those spaces, we've lived in abundance. And then there's been times where we've lived in scarcity, where I'm like, Lord, do you have us? Lord, are you enough to fill? Lord, I think I have to store away. And, and here's my one point that I want to leave you with. This is gospel-centered generosity. There is no room for storehouses in a Christian life. If you're like, Aaron, where do you get that from Scripture? I, I, I get that just from the overarching theme that I see that I'm trying to show you from Old Testament to New that finds its fulfillment in Jesus where scarcity is overturned into abundance but also to show you that, that Jesus in, in his parable in Luke 12 where it says it's the parable of the rich fool. So you know where it's going. He, he, he has a rich and full harvest and he goes, my, my barns are too small. I know what I'll do. I'll build bigger ones. And so he does so and he's able to store and house everything. And he says, now I will eat, I will drink, I will relax and I will have an easy life. Like hashtag retired at 40. And then Jesus speaks in as the narrator, so to speak. And he says, you fool, your life has been demanded of you this night. What good are your, your, what good are your riches now? That's, that's a picture of what our hearts and our, and our sinful and rebellious and our, our scared, because root word of scarcity, posture want to run to. God, I just want bigger storehouses. And we do that in different ways. Some of us, it's the bank account. Some of us, it's all the, the experiences we get to have in life, the trips, the whatever. Some of us, it's always striving for the status. It's always striving for something. And we're all answering the same question. Jesus, I don't think you're going to fill me, so I'm going to find it here. 
But he's inviting us through his son to go, no, I've given you everything. I've poured myself out completely so that you can have the inheritance of my son as sons and daughters. And you'll know for no lack, you will only have my abundance. That's what we're invited into. And the obedience from that is, you know what, church, I'd really invite you to this. In whatever way the Lord calls you, start tearing down some of your storehouses. Some of you that might be very literal. You know what, we've heaped up a lot. How would the Lord want to use these resources? Some of you might be like, we've got nothing heaped up. But you know what, you, you have a lot to offer and who you are, the skills you've been given, and even hoarding those in a sense. One of the, my favorite things to do every summer is, uh, I, don't, I don't know why, people just know if they have old stuff, they can come to me. Be like, hey, I've got this thing. Do you want it? Yeah. And if you open my garage, you'll see the mountain of things. And, and then every summer I open that up and I'm like, oh, you need that? Here you go. You need that? Here you go. And, and just, I love it. That's, that's part of, like, I, I don't know how that started. And I think now that when people see the garage, they're like, you just carry stuff, here you go. Um, it's that picture. This thing is finite and should never overflow. Whatever that is in your life, it should always be flowing out. And that's to your joy, because here's the thing. God uses this to go, I'm, I'm part of the mission. I'm part of the team, because here's the thing. The Old Testament model doesn't fit with the New Testament church because of this. We have no temple system Jesus is that. We, we have no priests. I'm, I'm, like Trevor and I, are, we're just, our job is to equip you, your priests. We all participate in this. And lastly, we have no welfare system because we're supposed to have concern for each other because our hearts are being transformed in Christ. Church, that's, that's what we desire to see. That's what we've been called to do. If you have any questions, I'd love to connect with you. Let me pray. I'll call the music team up. As, as we go through this next song, you're invited. One of our elders is going to come up and lead us in communion. But as we sing, would you come and grab the elements? We can be ready to partake together afterwards. So, Father, thank you for your word. And I, I, I pray that we are able to see a biblical theme and topic of generosity much clearer today. I, I pray you, you've in a healthy way, shaken foundations for those who have been very generous, but Lord, have not thought about what, what impact that has in their life. Lord, we're honestly, it doesn't hurt at all. It doesn't cause me to trust you. It doesn't cause me to, to ask, are you enough to fill me? Would you call us to a deeper trust of you and, and greater joy through generosity? And I pray for those, Lord, who... We've struggled from, with this in every sense, Lord, that we would be open to dip our toes into what this might look like so that our hearts would be shaped more like you, that we have to lean into the gift of your son Jesus as the, the, the greatest thing that we have as an evidence that we are living in abundance and are, are invited to live in abundance through relationship with Jesus. And I pray that that would have a rich overflowing in their life, that they would see that they've been given and they will be given more. 
the, the blessing is a walk with you. And I pray, Lord, as well, would you continue to richly increase. We ask that, Lord, for our joy, but Lord, for your glory, as it would be an evidence of your kingdom being manifest and, and spread out in this city, in this province, in this country. In Jesus' name, amen.